All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Acts chapter seven. Uh, we'll start in verse 54, and we will finish up kind of the first part of the book of Acts this morning. Uh, then we'll take a little break over the next few weeks um, as we prepare for Christmas, kind of get our hearts and minds headed that direction. Um, and then we'll start back up in January, uh, continuing to walk through the book of Acts. Um, so I, I just love how God's word gives us what we need when we need it. Um, and, and so this morning, and it was like this last week too, as I read that list of names that are hurting, uh, that are struggling, that are battling cancer, that are recovering, that are having all these questions that are about to enter into maybe just a dark time. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm just reminded of how good God is and how much his word brings a comfort and a peace and how he, by way of his word, gives us what we need. And so I, I'm just, it, I think it's just, it blows my mind to see where we're at today in the book of Acts knowing everything that our people that we're walking through on a daily basis. And so to start with, I want to read you a couple stories. Um, And again, these aren't just names. These are people that lived in a period of time as well um, that endured some pretty fierce persecution. Um, And so much like what we'll see this morning, but it's a man by the name of Thomas Hudson. And this was in England in 1558. The crowd looked on curious about what the martyr would do next. Thomas Hudson had come this far without denying his faith. The bishop had questioned him again and again and again, but he had not weakened in prison, and now he was walking to the place of his execution. At the last minute, would he recant? So just before the chain around him was made fast, Hudson stooped, slipped out from under the chain, and stood a little to one side. A hush came over the crowd. Everyone wondered, why has he hesitated? The Christian began to pray. Only Hudson knew the real reason he had stepped down. At the last minute, he had suddenly been attacked with doubts and felt his faith growing weak, not willing to die. While feeling this way, he fell upon his knees and prayed to God who sent him comfort. Then he rose with great joy as a reborn man and cried, now, thank God I am strong. I don't care what man can do to me. Going to the stake again, he put the chain around himself and the fire was lit. Another story. Thomas Hawker, England. Thomas, his friend lowered his voice as not to be heard by the guard. I have to ask you this favor. I need to know if what the others say about the grace of God is true. Tomorrow, when you are burnt at the stake, if the pain is tolerable and your mind is still at peace, just lift your hands above your head. Do it right before you die. Because Thomas, I have to know. Thomas Hawker whispered to his friend, I will, I surely will. The next morning, Hawker was bound to the stake and the fire was lit. The fire burned a long time, but Hawker remained motionless. His skin was burnt to a crisp and his fingers were gone. Everyone watching supposed as he was dead. And then suddenly, miraculously, Hawker lifted his hands still on fire over his head. He reached them up to the living God and then with great rejoicing, clapped them together three times. The people broke into shouts of praise and applause as Hawker's friend had finally had his answer. And see, this is a book, just a book of the martyrs. It's just a book full of story after story after story, just like this, of men, women, yes, even children whose lives have been taken because they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. These stories that I read you, um, 
were from the 1500s, but you've got a story like this in 1996 here with this, this young lady who ended up having her life taken because she wouldn't recant of her faith in Jesus Christ. And you, you see this over and over and over in the story of God, in the story of his church. Many people have been uh, killed because of their faith throughout the ages. This is just something that's happened. This is something that's taken place. Uh, the word we use when we talk about someone who's, whose life has been taken because of their faith is the word martyr. See, the Greek word in the New Testament, when, when you see that word martyr, is translated this way, witness. In the original language, martyr is witness. And so as we started out in the book of Acts, there was a very, very pivotal verse that we looked at the very beginning as we started this series. And it's found in Acts 1.8 where Jesus says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he makes this claim. He says, and you will be my what? Witness. Witness is what he tells them. So this word has a much deeper meaning, does it not, when we look at it through those lenses? When we examine it and see it for what it, what it truly means in the original language there. So when Jesus says that this power will come upon you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll receive power and then you will be my witness, what he is telling those disciples, those apostles that are gonna uh, catapult the church as it, as it begins to grow and as it starts, what he's simply saying is, boys, this is gonna cost you something. This is gonna cost you Everything, and I mean everything, even to the point of your last breath. But what we know is that this isn't true for every follower of Jesus. Not every follower will be killed before their faith. But because the witness of the early church followers, because of their faith and the time period and the, the hatred toward the things of God, the hatred toward who Jesus Christ is, it costs them their life. And so we use this word today to mean that someone has died for their faith and so we'll read this this morning as the first Christian martyr in the church's life is taken as we see that, as we continue in Acts 7. But before we jump into that head first, I, I just wanna just, I guess, point some things out to us. Because of the world we live in, because of the reality of the world we live in, Romans six twenty three says this, that the wages of sin is death. So, so what Paul reminds us in the book of Romans is the wage, something that is paid to what you've earned, the thing that we have earned, the wages of sin, our sin, us being born, us being rebellious to God uh, against the very thing of God, against his character, his nature, the thing that he stands for. Because of our rebellion, our sin, we've earned death. That's, that's what we get. That's what we've worked so hard for. That's what we deserve is death, for the wages of sin is death. And so and we know this to be true. Uh, we, we know it. I mean, you, you can't argue the fact that, that that's the reality of it, right? I mean, driving down the road and you pass by a graveyard, you see that. Uh, again, we've, we've all probably walked through that where we've had family members or loved ones that, that have uh, struggled with sickness and ailment and that has even led to death. And, and the, the harsh reality is this, is that you... I, we, as long as God tarries, chances are we'll pass through this thing as well called death. The, the reality of it is that. And I don't care how much you get your work, work out on, 
I don't care how many um, uh, protein you eat. I don't care uh, how good you are, even at Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. All of that stuff is irrelevant because what the scripture teaches, it is relevant. You do need to do good. But maybe not at Christmas and stuff like that. But, but, but what the scripture teaches us is simply this. We're gonna die. We actually, at the moment of birth, you start to do the same thing. You start to, to, to digress and you start to fade away as you get older. So we're gonna die if God doesn't return for his church, if he doesn't get us, the reality is this, all of us will pass through the grave. And so that's what we're gonna see this morning. So even in that dark, looming reality, my hope is this morning is that we can draw some hope, that we can draw uh, uh, some, uh, like I said, just hope from God's word, from some truth and of the reality about what this means for us as believers. And so I just wanna just talk for you for a brief moment before we jump in about the truth of death. The truth and the reality of death. See, death is an enemy. Death is an enemy that we fight. It's not romantic, it's not glamorous, it's not heroic. Death is an enemy is the way it would be described in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26 says it like this. It says, death is an enemy. Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So death for us is an enemy. We all fight against it. We all do everything we can to live, to fight against that uh, horrific enemy that comes for us. See, we were not created by God to die. But because of sin, because of us choosing sin over God, us choosing to rebel, us choosing our way over God's way, the thing that we have earned and worked so hard for is death. Romans 5.12 tells us this, that death is a curse, is an enemy that came into the world as a result of sin. But while we try to avoid death, let us believe with all of our heart, mind, might, the great truth that we have before us in God's word. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says it like this. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my hope for us this morning is this, is that we'll, we'll gain encouragement, that we'll gain hope even in spite of this horrible reality known as death. So I'm gonna ask you this morning if you'd pray with me before we jump into God's word and allow him to prepare us for what he has to say to us Allow him to work us over. Allow him to draw us closer to him. So join me as we pray. God, love you. Lord, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for being our hope. God, everything that we have sung about in this place this morning, those words, how they ring so true. God, that you are our hope. You are our sustainer. God, you've defeated death. God, you reign victorious. So God, as death looms, as our enemy comes for us. God, may we hold our head high and look to you. May you sustain us by your spirit, give us strength. God, give us encouragement this morning as we look at your word. Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. God, be glorified in this place. And we pray, amen. So Stephen, he's just preached a message to the Jewish leaders. And the main point of that message that we looked at last week was that they were more interested in self-worship than they were God-worship. The, the scripture would say it like this in Acts 41 and 48. He tells them that they rejoiced in the work of their own hands and not in God. It was one of those thoughts of where they thought they can control God. 
Or they thought that, look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. They wanted to be able to, to point to self, to glorify self, to do it their way, not God's way. And so Stephen just lights into him. He tells them the truth about him themselves as he has from the very beginning as we see in the book of Acts from the very get-go that's what the gospel's doing is telling people the truth about themselves and then they respond and so this morning we're going to see how they respond to Stephen's accusations Acts 7:54 says this now when they heard these things they were enraged they are furious. They are mad. Stephen's words ripped apart the surface level of their false spirituality. And what it did is expose them for who they were, for the hypocrites that they were. He tells them the truth about themselves and they can't stand it. They get enraged. They get mad. His word of truth takes their hatred for Jesus and for anyone or anything or anybody that belongs to Jesus to the next level. And so look at how they respond it says, and they ground their teeth at him. Now, I've never been around somebody that's been so mad that they ground their teeth, but I can just imagine this. I mean, they're so infuriated, they're furious, they're enraged by the fact of what Stephen had told them about themselves, that their anger burns red hot, and their response is to grind their teeth. And so as I read this week, as I looked this week, this response uh, kind of sheds light or suggests just maybe what they're doing now and for all eternity at this point in this moment, then and for all eternity. As we know in, in God's word, Jesus describes hell as a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so maybe that was just a foreshadow of the judgment that they would uh, endure for all eternity because of their anger and hatred of God and the things of God. But look at 55 and verse 55. But he, this is Stephen, do what? Being full of the Holy Spirit. And so we just see, this is just the natural description of Stephen. I mean, we've been reading about Stephen now for a few chapters and it just seems like this is, this is how Stephen is described. Stephen is just a man that's constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. God's empowering presence dwelling upon him, in him. He's just one that is just constantly being filled with the Spirit. God living in him and being made alive in him. Him being uh, submitted to God's wills, being obedient to God's leading. It's just a description that we see over and over and over in the Scriptures as it is linked to Stephen. Which brings me to think, what are we full of? What are we being filled with? Because in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to be emptied of something. And the thing that we have to be emptied of is us. And so as I thought about this this week, as I prayed about this, as I looked at this, the question that, that God ever rushed upon my heart is, Scott, how would you be described? I mean, is that not just a beautiful picture? Is that not just a beautiful description of someone? Man, man what do you know about them? All I know is, man, they are constantly full of Jesus. I mean, is that not just a perfect way to be described? I want, who wants that? Give me, that's how I want to be described. I mean, Scott, yes, he's a man full of the Holy Spirit. Man, God is just all over that boy. God is in that boy. I mean, he constantly talks about him. He constantly thinks about him. He's constantly doing things for him. He's constantly saying that he, he, he hears God speaking to him. He's constantly battling sin. He's constantly telling people of the glorious news of the gospel. I mean, he's just a man that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so as I read this, as I looked at this, as I prayed and just meditated on this this week, that, that question came to my heart. How would I be described? 
And, 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 and I know like people close to me, that, that's, that's what I want to know. How, how, how would they describe me? How would my family describe me? How would my boys describe me? Is that short and cranky? How would my wife describe me? Is, is he a, a lover of self or does he love the Lord and that love of the Lord uh, permeate right down through my relationship with my wife or, or family? And fr- like, how would they describe me? Am I selfish? Am I all about me? Am I, like, like, what would the description be of us this morning, church? And I don't know about you, but we like to paint the picture of ourselves being a little bit better than it truly is. And so my interest is let's ask your spouse or let's ask your boss at work or let's, let's ask those people that, that are gonna give us a, an unbiased truth about the way that they see you. So God just wore me out this week. So how, how would we be described as men and women filled with the Holy Spirit? Or like this counsel that we read about earlier filled with self our own desires our own wants yeah Jesus is good and I love him and I'll worship him when it's convenient or easy or when I want to but in those difficult moments because as we see this story as we read this story we see the Holy Spirit filling Stephen in a time even in a time of crisis he provides a special grace and this special strength in a tragic time. Look at what it says. It's talking about Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Look at what happens. He gazes into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So what we have here is the enemy is drawing near. The enemy of death is drawing near and it looks to consume Stephen. That's, that's what's about to happen. Death is, is coming for him. Death has called his name and it's about to take him, but the Holy Spirit in Stephen turns this death into a window of heaven. That's what the Holy Spirit does in him. So instead of seeing hell, instead of seeing the face of Satan, instead of seeing what's really going on, Stephen sees the glory of God and Jesus alive and well standing at the right hand of God. That's what Stephen experiences in this horrific time. So what we see here is death stripped of its power. Death, this enemy that has come for Stephen is stripped of its power, leaving itself weak. And in that moment of weakness, God uses it for his glory and for his honor. See, it raises its ugly head and it threatens to take away. And it's the same thing for us. Death does the exact same thing for us. It rears its ugly head and it threatens to take away all the pleasures that we know, like a, like a bright spring morning. Oh, as the sun has just come up and the flowers have bloomed and the birds are singing and the sun is rising. Or maybe as the colors of fall start to descend upon us, as they start to, start to burst forth with color and our, our, our sight is just overstimulated with the, the glorious creation of our God. Or maybe it's in the night like where I grew up in the mountains, I could go out and I could just lay out and just look up in the sky and see the stars. I, mean, I could see the Little Dipper, the Big Dipper. I could just see all of this glorious creation. I mean, you name it. What, what does death strip of us? But instead, instead of Stephen, Stephen focusing on that or seeing that, what it does is it opens this window of heaven and it reveals the glory of God. That's what God uses it for here. That's what the Holy Spirit in Stephen does. See, death threatens to take away our most precious relationships. But instead, Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. So hear me this morning. I'm not saying that every believer will get the same vision of glory or of Jesus that Stephen gets. That's not what I'm saying. But I do mean that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit and we know what the Holy Spirit does. We know his role. 
We know what he does in us. He brings comfort, and I believe that he even brings comfort in those dying moments of our life when life is about to fade away. So one way or another, he makes death a window to the glory of God and to Jesus. I just believe with everything in me, that's what the Holy Spirit's gonna do. That's what he does for Stephen. I believe that's what he'll do for us, and it may be a little different than it is for Stephen, but I'm just gonna believe with everything in me that he's just gonna usher me into the presence of Jesus. And so for those who love Jesus more than anyone, those who long for the glory of God more than anything, the sting of death is gone away with and the power of death is broken. That's what we see here. So whether you're 80 years old and you're retired or you're 18 and getting ready to start your life, you can look through that window of death and you cannot fear if you belong to Jesus, if you are his. So the story goes on in verse 56, and he said, behold, this is Stephen, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So in other places in the New Testament, it describes Jesus as being seated at the right hand of God. We see kind of that picture being painted or that that description of Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus being seated in that term, is it refers to the redemptive work being completed. That, That what Jesus has done on the cross is finished, that it's completed, that his work is done, it's over. He has done what he said he was gonna do. He's defeated death, he's defeated sin, he reigns victorious. And so what he's done is he has seated himself at the right hand of the Father to rule and reign is what we see in the scriptures. That's what it teaches. We see, we see that over in uh, the Great Commission as he says to go make disciples of all nations. But before he says it, he says, all authority has been given to me. Earth, under the earth, everywhere is what he says. And so normally as we see Jesus portrayed uh, in the New Testament after his ascension, it's that of being seated at the right hand of the Father. But not here. Not here. Jesus stands, and I believe he stands to show his concern for Stephen as well as to welcome Stephen. As well as to welcome Stephen. See, this was the final straw in their tolerance of Stephen. They had had all that they could take. They were furious. They were enraged as the scripture teaches and shows us and talks to us. Their tolerance was over. See, I believe this is very reminiscent of another trial, of another trial that we are very familiar with, that trial of Jesus, what he went through, what, what he endured. And so when Stephen here says that he sees the Son of Man, that would strike a chord with them. That would get their attention very, very quickly because Jesus makes the same claim. Jesus says the same thing, that he would be at the right hand of God. So by Stephen saying this, he's linking back to the fact and the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus said he was gonna do and who Jesus said he was. It's almost as if he throws it back in their face. It's almost as if he's like, hey, hey boys, you remember, you remember the Jesus? That guy that, that you crucified, that you put on the, remember I've already told you that it was you that, that killed him, that you are the one that should be on trial, not me, Jesus, him, the son of man, him, Jesus. And so Stephen asserts that Jesus is in fact there. He says that he sees him, that he, is, that he affirms what Jesus said. He throws it at them. Now they have to do one of two things, either admit that they were wrong for murdering Jesus or get rid of the problem that stands before them. So what do you think they're gonna do? Let's read and find out. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. So we see how they're gonna respond. The problem's in front of us, so let's just eliminate the problem. 
Let's just get rid of this person that's making us uncomfortable, this person that, that we don't agree with, this person that we don't like, this person that has called us into, let's just do a way with them. And so they lose it. They weren't about to acknowledge what Stephen said is truth. They weren't about to acknowledge that. So look at what they do in verse 58. So they cast him out of the city and they stone him. See, it's believed in this moment that you have this, this mob mentality, this, this anger and this rage of this mob that they would push and they would shove and they would throw rocks at random at Stephen to kill him. That's what's, I mean, would that not be a horrific way to die? I mean, you've been, you've been, as I was reading this week, what they say would normally would happen is they would thrust you off of a, a higher elevation area and as you lay there, then they would have one by one bring a big stone and boulder and they would drop it on you. And if the first stone didn't kill you, then come on next. And they would just drop it until you were lifeless and, and death was upon you. I mean, is that not just a horrific way to die? I mean, so just throwing rocks and boulders at you until till you, you're lifeless and life has left you? Just a horrific way. And it goes on, it says, and the witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So, so this is the first appearance of one that we will come, become very, very familiar with as the story continues to unfold. So as we come back from Christmas break, we'll get to know this man very, very quickly in a very, very intimate way, and we'll come to know him more so as the Apostle Paul. But what this suggests here, his position would suggest that he was deeply involved in this whole wicked affair. That he was deep, it was almost as if he was, yes, he agrees with it, yes, do it, yes, execute him, be done away, we need to squash this is kind of what, what this, would, uh, this position would suggest. So full of the spirit, look at what Stephen does as the story continues. Look at what he does and what he says in this horrific time, verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So what happens here is you've got the Holy Spirit turns this hour of death for Stephen into a, a revelation of the glory of God and of Jesus. He gets to experience that and see that. He also shows Stephen that the reason Jesus was standing and not sitting, as we read in verse 55, was to welcome his servant home. Was to welcome his servant home. So death serves the dying saint not only as a window to see Jesus, but also as a doorway to join him. He gets to be where his Savior is. His faith becomes an ever-present reality. His faith becomes his sight. So Stephen's confident prayer is this, Jesus, receive my spirit. See, Stephen knew where he was headed. He, he knew what his faith would get him. Church, do you know what your faith gets you this morning? All the other stuff's great, and that's good, and heaven, and a mansion, and all, sure, whatever, cool, yeah. But what we really get to inherit this morning as believers of Jesus Christ is eternity with Jesus. I was reading something the other day in an article, and I think I've read it before, and I maybe have even mentioned it, but the question was posed, who, who would take heaven without Jesus if you still got all the stuff that was described there? Have you ever thought of it like that? And as I read that article and as I thought of that reality, how, how crazy is that, that that people would actually, okay, I'll take it. That, that wouldn't be so bad. So, so still all the stuff that's described and the pictures that are painted and okay, but no, okay. Church, heaven is Jesus. 
That is heaven. Heaven is where Jesus is. All that other stuff is, is just, just extra. I mean, heaven for us, eternity. And Stephen knew what he was gaining in this moment. He knew where he was headed. One theologian puts it like this. He says, it's as though you are dying in a small cabin in the woods. He says that the door is death and you are moving toward it inch by inch by inch. And as it opens, there is this huge ravenous wolf with, with bared fangs and furious eyes at first you were just terrified but then the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and behind this wolf what you see is Jesus shining like the sun he is standing with his arms extended to you and his face aglow and smiling and hanging tight in his other hand there is a brass chain that leads to an iron collar on the wolf's neck oh but you hesitate for for just a moment but then the Spirit gives you strength. And as you put your foot in the threshold and the mouth of the wolf opens, Jesus flings him with a mighty jerk clear out of sight and you enter into the presence of the Lord for eternity. That's the picture that this theologian paints of death, of what it would be like. Can you just imagine that? See, death, as difficult and painful as it is, is the doorway to be with Jesus for all eternity. And we should trade nothing for that. Nothing for that. So let's look and see how Stephen responds to this act of hate. And just notice how the Holy Spirit draws out of him this Christ-likeness in this horrific time. Verse 60, and falling to his knees, he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I mean, can you imagine that for a moment? The hatred that was portrayed to Stephen, the hatred that was uh, uh, displayed and on, uh, toward him. I mean, they are throwing physical rocks with the sole purpose of shutting him up and killing him. And in his dying moment, in his dying moment, I mean, everything in the flesh, I'm like, God, get him. <laughs> they don't deserve forgiveness. Sick him. Wear him out. Oh, make him, make, him hurt. make him feel the pain that I feel. But no, no Stephen goes to this place. Why? Because he's filled with the, the Spirit. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, church, we're gonna respond as the Spirit would respond. And so we've seen this before, have we not? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When Jesus was dying, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do over in Luke 23, 34. See, death has failed horribly as a curse to destroy the love and the holiness of Jesus. That's what we see here. So Stephen, filled with the Spirit of Jesus, and death, it fails again. Death fails miserably yet again. See, the devil hopes for your death to produce despair, hopelessness, self-pity, resentment, bitterness. That's what he wants. But the design of the Holy Spirit is so different and so contrary to everything that Satan stands for. So he destroys the power of death is what the Spirit does. And he makes death into an occasion for showing the majesty and the glory and the grandeur of Jesus. That's what he does. And Stephen echoes out, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. I mean, is that not a beautiful picture and reminder that even in the most difficult and, and what seems to be hopeless times that, that we can triumph like Christ? That we can triumph like, like Jesus did? I mean, of all people who had the right to get even, Jesus, Stephen, just tells them the truth about the gospel. And they're enraged by that to the point where they 
take his life and being full of the spirit, he responds in a way that brings glory and honor to God. Now, I've never been there and this is easy to preach. This is, this, is, this is easy because I think everything's okay. I haven't got a call yet or I don't have a lump or a weird cough or I haven't, uh, none of that stuff's happened yet. And I definitely don't have people chasing me with rocks that I know of. And so everything seems to be okay. And so my prayer, my prayer for me is this is, God, help me be like that. God, help me, help me be like, help me be so just full of your presence and your spirit. God, help me, help me be there. Help me be in that place. Help me whenever death comes for me, respond in that way. Or when difficulty comes for me, help me to respond in a way that you would respond. To be, to be like you. God, fill me. See, church, that's why it's so vital that we are filled with the spirit all the day long. Because things are coming for us. Satan wants to derail us, and though it may not be death yet, oh, there's a number of things that are coming for us. And look how the story ends. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. See, Stephen peacefully and calmly slips into the presence of the Lord. I think sleep is a very good way to describe the death of a believer. It's temporary. Death is temporary is what we learn and what we know. It takes us from one experience of weariness and work and consciousness of all the problems of life and the freshness of a new day. It takes us to the freshness of a new day in the physical presence of one that will be with for eternity. Where everything horrific and wrong that we know is done away with and we get to be in the presence of Jesus for all eternity. See, life is temporary. This and when we die, we really get to live. This isn't living. Oh, this, this is far, far from it. This is a battle. This wears you out. This just exhausts you. This beats you up, this life. Uh, it, it, just, it just takes a toll on us. But oh, church, eternity with Jesus is renewed and refreshing. And, and it's, it's everything that we could have ever longed for. I've, I've heard it said this way as people try to describe heaven and it's so funny, if, if you ever, I, I just, I, this is who, the theologians I like to talk to about heaven are like the little ones, like my three-year-old and my six-year-old. I believe the picture that they paint of heaven is so much greater than any picture that, that we as, as uh, just, just adults can paint. I mean, their little imaginations, are they just not running wild and going crazy? Uh, I, mean, I mean, the stuff that they talk about for all eternity with Jesus, the things that they, that they just, they just lo- like, like right now, my son, my six-year-old, his biggest favorite dad, will there be football in heaven? Uh, sure, buddy, I, I don't know. Uh, it's gonna be so much greater than a, a front yard football game with my boy. I mean, I, I just know that. I mean, our wildest imagination of the splendor and grandeur of our God in this place called eternity is our wildest imaginations fall woefully short. Woefully short. I mean, you think about the most creative minds on the planet. As, as talented and as gifted as, as, as Hollywood could be, they, they fall woefully and pathetically short of what heaven. Your wildest imagination falls woefully short of eternity with Jesus. So this is temporary. We get to live and be in the eternal. And so uh, we were driving one day as, as I start to wrap up and, and close this morning. We're driving one day down the road and I had Brody in the back, my six-year-old. He wasn't six at the time. I think he's more like four-ish. And so as we're driving down the road, we, we pass by a graveyard and it's, it's got one of those cranes and trucks and he's like all about that. But then, then his little mind wanders up, what are they doing there, dad? 
Yeah, buddy, they are, um, they're digging a hole. Yeah, see, creative dad. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're getting a hole, man. Isn't that cool? Yeah, dad, but what for? They're going to put a box in it. Oh, cool, dad. What's in the box? You see where they go? And I'm like, well, buddy. Um, and so here we go. So we wander off down that road, and I try to describe to him the best I can to a four-year-old what death is. And the best description that I could get is, well, hopefully that person loved Jesus and had a relationship with him and come to him believing in what he did for them on the cross. And as a result of that, that's just a way to go, go see Jesus. Oh, which that wasn't a good way to describe that. So I'm like, well, hold on, buddy, hold on. Okay, so I was trying to dance around it and, and I couldn't. And so I said, well, buddy, what happens is they die. And so that means they're not here anymore. And so as a result of that, they're put, they're put in that box and that box goes in the ground and that's just a way that they get to go see Jesus. And, and my little boy is so precious in that moment. He says, Dad, I hope Jesus just comes and gets me before I get to there. And I said, buddy, I believe that he will one way or another. And so this is just conjecture. This is me away. I just believe, I don't, I just want to, I just want to believe in that moment when death comes for us, when death comes for me, when this enemy that we fight all the day long comes for us, as the scripture describes, that, that Jesus, I, I just, I'm just going to, this is how my death's going to go. I'm picturing Jesus standing. That's what I want, that he's just going to usher me into his, that's what I want to believe and that's what I want to see. And, and as I described it to my boy, I thought, man, maybe he's got it better than I do. But church, that's what death is. Death is us getting to go be with Jesus forever, for all eternity. So as the band comes and as, as, a, as we wrap up, there's just this connection between the ways that the Holy Spirit uses this curse of death as a servant to Jesus. There's just a connection between that. And, and this connection also teaches us that the way to die in the power of the Holy Spirit is also the way to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. When like this, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see and love, love God, you know that Jesus is alive and triumphant at God's right hand. You've got to remember that, church, that he's defeated death. That's what the cross tells us. Remember the empty tomb. We don't just celebrate Easter at, uh, in, in the spring. We celebrate Easter every moment of every day. Why? Because the grave is still empty. Why? Because he's defeated sin and death. That's what the Spirit attests to us. The Spirit does a work in you and allows you the will to say, Jesus, there is no place I would rather be than with you. No place. Paul says it like this. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to get there. I want to be at that place. As good as this is, as much as I love this, I'm praying that God will give me just a distaste for this so I can have a taste for him and a longing for him that is unmatched by anything else. No matter how great I think it is here, it fails in comparison. And so as I read this week, I'm just praying that God will, will just do that work in my heart. Earth, that's cool. Where I live, that's fine. Where I work, okay. The people I work with, okay. But Jesus, oh, he's so much better. My wife, like I love her, but I don't want to love her more than I love Jesus. My little boys, like, like who would take care? Who cares? God's got that. I get Jesus. Is that selfish? I don't believe so. I believe that's the heart and mentality that we should have. Oh, if I, if I ever start living for you, I can never live for him. If I live for anyone else in this room, I can't live for him. So my prayer and my hope is that, that there would be no other place that I would rather be than with Jesus. No other place. 
So we see that in some of these men and women in scripture who get a hold of who Jesus Christ truly is. And that's the longing of their heart. And the third, the third way to die and the power of the Holy Spirit and to, it brings us to the place where we can live by the Holy Spirit is this, is that the Spirit will allow the power of Jesus in us to overcome the hopelessness, the self-pity, the resentment, the bitterness. All of that will be done away with by the presence of Jesus and the, by the reality of his glory. All of that stuff will just slip away. Church, when we see Jesus for who he is and we see him face to face on that glorious day, and yes, I said it right, that glorious day where our enemy death thinks that he has won. Hear me, church, the thing for us as a believer in this room this morning, we, we win at death. I'm just gonna quote my buddy right here. I win. And we win at death. I win either way. I get a few more years here, I win. God takes me tonight, I, I win. I get eternity, I get to see my Savior face to face and this very thing that I hope for, this faith that I'm living in is no longer a faith but it's a present reality. So church is perspective. It's perspective for us. See, this is the way we die by the power of the Spirit and this is the way we live by the power of the Spirit is seeing those things and living at those places and reality of all of that. So we'll all walk through it in a different way. Every one of us maybe with a loved one, maybe with a friend, maybe with a family member, or maybe we'll even face it ourselves. But may God, by way of the Holy Spirit, remind us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what he tells us in Corinthians. And so maybe in that moment when death rears its ugly head in whatever circumstance or whatever situation, maybe we can find hope in knowing that Jesus will be right there with us. That's what I love. I just love the promises of what Scripture teaches. He's always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. So I'm just gonna choose to trust and believe what Jesus has said, knowing that death is an enemy and knowing that we fight enemies, but, but this enemy, though he thinks he will win, is rendered powerless by the cross of Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you have a loved one. I don't know if you're facing it yourself, but hear me, church. You hold up your head and you walk with Jesus and he will be for you everything that you need in that moment regardless. I just know it to be true. We've got story after story after story. We've got the men that are burned at the stake. We've got the little children that are just shot in the head. We've got all of those stories that just testify of their faith being strengthened in those horrific moments of death. And I believe it's all because Jesus was right there with them by way of his spirit. God, help us this morning in this place to see you. Help us to be filled with you. God, thank you for this story of encouragement with Stephen. God, it gives us hope. God, it reminds us of your glory. It reminds us of your goodness. It reminds us that you are always, always, always with us. So Jesus, as that enemy comes, help us look, look past it to the present reality of eternity with you. Then we pray, amen. Eric and these guys are gonna lead us in a song of worship. If you need to come pray, if you just need somebody to love on you and be encouraged, we'll be here, whatever we can do to worship with you. You've, but you be obedient to what God leads you to this morning.